How beautiful was that singing? It was fantastic. Um, it's nice to meet you. My name's Tim, like other handsome gentlemen in the room. Um, I'm uh, one of Daniel's friends from Melbourne, from a church up in, uh, up in sunny, tropical Melbourne. And I flew over successfully with Jetstar yesterday. And uh, so it's my privilege to be with you. Hey, um, I don't know uh, whether you've had um, much uh, experience of church or not. Um, and I don't know, and if you have had experience of church, um, whether you can remember the first time that you ever, went, you ever set foot inside a church building. Um, I didn't grow up in a, in a church-going family, but um, the first time I ever went to church was Christmas Day when I was about seven or eight years old. And it was, it was quite a lot like this. Um, there was a cross, except it didn't wasn't a, a neon cross, and uh, it was it was it was as dark as this, absolutely. And there were real there were candles there were candles in the place, and the reason I remember um, going to church that time was because my uh, because um, I'd received um, for Christmas uh, the well back back when I was seven or eight. The, birth, uh, the Christmas present that I'd always wanted my whole life. You know, when you're eight and you think in terms of an eight, eight is like multiple decades. And so I'd received, um, uh, I'd received a Star Trek ray gun <laughs> for Christmas because I, I love nothing more than Star Trek. I just wanted to be, I really secretly wanted to be Mr. Spock, but I didn't really have the ears for, for it. And, but I got my and the great thing about the uh, the Star Trek ray gun, like it was it was about that that size, and it was black and it had a it had a had a trigger on it, and it it shot light out from which back when I was a child in the 1700s, um, it was like light out at the end of something was quite extraordinary, <laughs> and so it and the beautiful thing was it came with these little. Um, these little attachments, which if you attached it to the end of the, the ray gun and you'd, you'd like go up against a wall and you'd, the light would shine and suddenly a Klingon warbird would appear or the Star Trek Enterprise, if you don't know anything about Star Trek. Like, and it, so it was absolutely awesome. And, uh, but the best part was this. When you pulled the trigger and this Enterprise went up on the thing and the light shot out, it made a sound and it went like this. <laughs> and so my sister, who, Sophie, who's a year and a half younger than me, it was awesome because I spent all morning, if, imagine Daniel, imagine you're Sophie, I would just go, <laughs> it was absolutely awesome. Anyway, for some strange reason, mum and dad decided that, that was, this, was the, this was the day to try out church. <laughs> so um, being, as, being eight years old, I was particularly uncooperative on that morning, and then mum said the magic words, you can take the ray gun. And I'm going, this is awesome. So we get in the car, we drive down to this church, and then we pull up in the car park, and mum turns around and goes, right, you can take the ray gun into church, because I'd been sitting the whole way down the road to church going, eh, eh, to my sister Soph. Eh. Klingons appeared on her face. And and she goes, right, you can go into church. You can, bring your, you can bring, bring your ray gun, but you're not allowed to fire it. And I go, 
sure, Mum. Sure, 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 sure. So anyway, we go into church, and I sat down in a pew, but they were like wooden, you know those old wooden pews? So it's, we were sitting in the wooden pews, and I'm um, sitting down, and I'm right up one end, and there's Dad and Mum and Soph and me, and I'm sitting, and it seemed to go, the church service seemed to go for about 10 hours, and I'm sitting there going, and it's dark like this. And I'm right up against a wall, and the wall's white. And I'm going, and the guy at the front in the robes is talking, and I'm going, and I'm eight years old, and I'm going, and I don't know if you've, have you ever discovered your trigger finger? That morning I discovered my trigger finger because I'm going, and I'm looking at the wall, and, I'm looking, and then I'd look up at mum, and mum would be like this. <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. And I'm going, <laughs> and I reckon I lasted about six hours into the service. And then I just went. <laughs> <laughs> and all I remember is turning around, and my mum, and... I don't know what happened because I sort of blanked out that memory. No amount of therapy has brought it back, but I think maybe a, a hand brought some correction to that little eight-year-old in that day. That was my first experience of church. And um, so light, and so I actually associate darkness with my first experience of church. It's a bit, depress, just a bit depressing in the context of today. But um, th- this idea of light and darkness is something that... Uh, that the scriptures, as we heard before, but the scriptures use quite a lot to talk about what life is like, what it what it what it means to journey in life, whether that's a difficult path or that's a, a helpful, healthy path. But it um it uses this idea of light and darkness a lot, and Jesus used this metaphor a lot as well. And so I don't know if you've got a Bible with you or anything like that, but um I just want to read some words from. Um, Jesus, it's in John chapter 8, verse 12. You might be familiar with them. You might have seen them on a bumper sticker or something like that. But it says this, John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this. When Jesus spoke again um, to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's, I don't know what you make of words like that. For me, when I I read things that Jesus says like this, part of me goes, where does he get this stuff? Like, this is brilliant. Like, it's, like, whether you agree with it or not, it's beautiful and it's elegant and it's poetic and I don't know if you've ever had those moments in life where you go I wish I'd said that but there regularly are times when Jesus will say things and I'll think to myself I wish I I wish I could say something like that in that moment uh, in that context to those people and this is one of those moments but it's really important that we don't just see words like this as elegant or beautiful or poetic because when we see them as just that we can listen to them admire them but never feel like we have to apply any of them and what Jesus says never wants us to just remain doing that the actual context in which Jesus said these words I'm the light of the world is uh, the story that's the thing that's just happened uh, just prior to this is is a woman has been 
dragged out, caught in the act of adultery. If you can imagine what that was like. Um, The Old Testament said that people who were caught in adultery had to be stoned. uh, And so these people who were caught in adultery, it never mentions a man if you look in the story. These crowds gathering around this powerless woman who's being shamed and humiliated. And the man's nowhere to be found. The religious leaders are puffing their chest out and I'm sure adrenaline is pumping through their brains as they say they're claiming to uphold the religious law of the day. But they can't possibly be just doing that because the man who was caught in the act of adultery or was part of the setup is nowhere to be found. And this woman who a crowd wants to stone and humiliate, Jesus in the most bold and yet winsome way stands up for her. And he says, maybe you've heard the words, whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And as he takes on mob rule in that moment, they don't know what to do with Jesus in that moment. Because this is one of those moments where he's turning everything that they thought upside down. And really what he's doing is he's showing them yet again that he will not condemn you. He was the Messiah. People wanted him. The religious leaders wanted, almost in this perverse way, needed him to condemn those who didn't belong. But he would never do that. He was also showing this in those moments, that he would never try and control you. It's not in his nature to do that. And this was freaking the religious leaders out because they peddled religious control freakism, if that's such a word. It is now, thank you. God bless you. But Jesus, refusing to condemn, refusing to control, says these words, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness. And they're beautiful words and they're elegant words and they're profound words. And yet, as you read them, you can almost end up just going, it's easy to say that about Jesus. We can hold on to them because if if Jesus is the light of the world, like regardless of what you make of him, the vast majority of people would say that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, at least that. So at least from that point of view to say, Jesus is the light of the world, we can hold that idea at arm's distance. But it's interesting with this metaphor of um, light and darkness and this statement of the light of the world because it's the only metaphor that Jesus uses about not only himself, but he uses it about other people. Again, if you've got a Bible in your hand, Matthew 5, verse 14, 15 and 16 says this. Maybe you're familiar with these words. Remember, in, 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 in... John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Now listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 15. It's right at the beginning of this classic sermon. It's called Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. But he says this. Um, Could someone grab me a glass of water? Um, I just got a little bit of cotton wool mouth. And I know there's an awful lot of grape juice, but I don't really feel like I can have a sip of communion wine whilst... I do my talk. Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he says. And and 
And maybe you're holding at arm's distance the idea Jesus is the light of the world. Now listen to what he says. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Ah, Thanks, Kevin. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good gift, uh, good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in one space, he's saying, I am the light of the world. And it's like, you know, there was, he was up at the temple probably and it was this glorious statement. It was controversial, but it was glorious and we can hold it at arm's distance. And now he says, you are the light of the world. And, and it's really important that we understand who he's talking about there. Because he, he, he's gathering around there. There's a crowd. There's people called his disciples around him. But this is Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you're a statistician, there's 28 chapters in Matthew. Uh, we're only at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. We're right at the beginning. We haven't, we haven't got to the end part yet. We haven't got to, the, to the, his crucifixion on a cross or his resurrection yet. Yeah, we're right at the beginning. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard the 12 disciples. Yeah, They haven't been set up yet. There aren't the 12 disciples yet. This is, that's Matthew chapter 10. We're in Matthew chapter 5. And so as you read these words, uh, 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 and maybe you can hold the idea that Jesus is the light of the world. And thought, that's cool for you, Jesus. And now Jesus comes and he says, you are the light of the world. You. And everybody who is in the sound of his voice, that's who he was talking about. And as Matthew wrote down these words and captured them and preserved them in his story of Jesus, the reason that he captured those words is not so that we would have a historical document of what Jesus said about some people who were living in first century Palestine. The reason that he captured these words was that you would understand that you and I are the light of the world. That's why you're on planet Earth. They're absolutely designed, these words, to be impossible to hold at arm's distance you are the light of the world you see the people he's talking to all the way through this sermon on the mount that they're the people who were trying to find and trying to follow god they are trying to they were they were trying to do their best and the question that was resonating in their souls and in their fears was this what does it mean to be right with god it was, it was this idea that they longed for. I just want to be right with God. You know, in the cold, hard light of day, most people that I interact with, regardless of where they are on a faith journey, the idea of being right with God is something that's a part of their longing and their hope and maybe a part of their fear of not quite being good enough. But that's who Jesus is talking to in this Sermon on the Mount. 
He's talking to people who'd been taught all their life, they'd been sold this line, that God was a control freak. They proved it by, get this, counting the number of laws in the Old Testament. 613, apparently. Thanks very much. As if that was the point, counting the number. And then they added more, just in case you weren't tying yourself up in knots to try and get right with God. It was these people who just wanted to be right with him. They were trying to follow. They were trying to find God. And they didn't feel like they measured up. And they weren't living the lives that perhaps they'd imagined and hoped that they would be living. And they weren't raising the kids that now that they were raising kids, they, they weren't raising them in a way that they'd hoped they'd be. They weren't the kind of parents or aunties and uncles that they'd hoped they would be. And now Jesus comes and doesn't just say, I am the light of the world. He looks them in the eye and says, you are the light of the world. Isn't that extraordinary? I don't know what's going on in your world, but I do know this. You are the light of the world. You are. That's part of the reason you've been put on planet Earth. And it's interesting because as Jesus says these words, we cannot, we cannot hold them at arm's distance. Because even if he said, you are the light of the world... That's a big call. It doesn't, it's certainly not very Australian to walk around thinking that you're the light of the world. I'm sure in Tasmania you're more sensible in saying things like that. Up on the mainland, we would shoot you if you said, I'm the light of the world. Uh, you know, wake up in the morning, say to one of your kids or your partner or whoever, good morning, I'm the light of the world and so are you. You'd, they'd probably think you were drinking way too early in the morning. But it's these, it's these words that are really important for us to hold. Because he's been serious about this. This is not hyperbole or overstatement. This is what it means to be a human being. And, and it forces us to actually face a few things. One is this, that the greatest battles we ever fight are the ones that are within us. One thing I... I, I, I I was fascinated with the dark mofo. I'm a dark mofo debutante, if that's the word. Uh, last night, we want to hold darkness at arm's distance most of the time. We'll enjoy it in movies, but I don't want the violence that maybe thrills me in a movie. I don't want that in my life. But these words, you are the light of the world, force us to confront the reality that so often the greatest battles that we face are the ones within us and that actually conquering the darkness inside us, let alone anyone else, is the path to the way forward. That's the hard part of this. But these words also confront us, uh, force us to confront, I think, also this, that God does not define you by your worst moments. Do you know that? I read a book a bunch of years ago, um, Who You Are When No One's Looking. And it was like, when you're alonest and darkest and deepest and worst, that's the real you. And I lived under the curse of that book for a decade. It's garbage. God doesn't define you by your worst moments. Right now, where you are, however life is going well or not, you are the light of the world. It forces us to also face the thing that pain is not the limit of our lives. And it also forces us, I think, and pushes us to face 
this idea that sometimes in life we confuse the moments in our life when we think we failed but what we did was we quit. But Jesus says whether we failed or we quit, he still says you are the light of the world. And it's this metaphor that I think has two sides to it that I just want to unpack just for a couple of minutes and maybe land it a little bit for, well, what do we do with this? Like, maybe you agree with Tim from Melbourne. Maybe you completely disagree. Maybe you think you don't know what's going on in my life. And if you think that, you're dead right. I wouldn't presume to know what's going on in your life. But still, Jesus says these words to every single one of us. You are the light of the world. What's that mean? It's true. I, I want to get on that. And there's two sides to it, I think. One is this. It's a statement about identity. Which is really important for us to hold on to. You are the light of the world. It's your nature. It's your identity. Identity is really important because if we understand identity, and particularly in light of the work of Christ on the cross, this action of undeniable, unconditional acceptance, love, forgiveness, and sacrifice. If we understand, if we can grab a hold of that, we can understand that our identity is to be defined in relationship with God. And if we can grab a hold of that, we understand a few things. One is this, that acceptance comes before change. It's a statement of identity. If you want to see change, when we often that turns on its head everything we think about change, but all the way through Scripture, acceptance comes before change. Identity is a really important idea because identity comes before achievement. If we fl- There's nothing wrong with achievement, but if we flip it the other way around, achievement becomes something that defines us rather than expresses who we are. And identity is really important for us to grab a hold of because it's the greatest determiner for behavior and good decisions in our lives. Have you discovered the power of that? That who you are in the light of God's love, his unconditional acceptance, that that if you can get that sense of your identity, your sense of identity is the greatest determiner of your behavior and your decisions. As I raise my kids, I've got four of them. Three of them are teenagers. I'm still alive, so I'm winning. But as I'm raising them, that's one of the key things I want them to learn in life. That if they can get a healthy grasp of who they are, they can get a healthy grasp of their identity, that is the greatest, greatest determiner of their behavior, not self-discipline not control mechanisms and not willpower. Your sense of identity, you are the light of the world. I tell you, that turns everything on its head, doesn't it? Because everything, almost everything I've ever been told about change is its willpower. If I make a bigger decision with more willpower, then it will happen. I mean, we've even got a multi-billion dollar in global industry around that. 
based on the decision-making power of making decisions on a given day of the year. You know what that day is, don't you? January 1. What do we call those kinds of decisions? New Year's resolutions. We know they secret. We, we know they don't work, mostly. But still we think decision, willpower, control will bring change. It's not true. It's a sense of identity. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So it's a, it's a statement about identity, but it's also a statement about purpose. Because you're created for more than just you. And just even your little patch. You're created to be the light of the world. So if identity is understanding who we are, purpose, I think, is this. It's understanding that whatever resource or influence or power that we have has been given to us. And if we understand that, that whatever resource, power or influence, and we all have that, we all have domains in life where we have influence or power. If we understand that we have been given that, it changes the way we see life. And it helps us leverage that influence or power or resource for the good of other people. And we can all do that. The most profound example I've seen of that in the last five years is my eldest boy, Dan. Yeah. I call him Dan. His name's Daniel. Nice name. He's a very good bloke. And, and, yeah, and taller than me, my 17-year-old boy, who's now, I'm actually wearing his shoes. Um, so Dan, he's 17 years old. He's had, a, he's had a challenging teenage, he's had challenging teenage years. At various points, I can't think of a teenager who I have uh, 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 known who's had such a difficult teenage journey. He finished up school halfway through year 11. That's not the key source of his challenge, though it was a big one. School and him just didn't mix. And the 18 months leading up to his finishing school, for us as his parents, I used to be a school teacher. I work for a church now, but I used to be a school teacher. I married a school teacher. Like, I thought some of the genetics would pass on to my children. It doesn't seem to be the case. But Dan, it was very, very the, the 18 months were just very hard for Sarah and myself, let alone Dan. And he finished up, and it was like having the greatest source of anxiety and failure in his life surgically removed overnight. He didn't become perfect, but it was extraordinary what happened. He went to work. Now, because he was 16, he had to go to another training institution, right? You know what that training institution was? McDonald's. Now, I don't know what McDonald's is doing to our culture. I'm, I don't want to know what it's doing to our health. But I tell you, apparently it's a great, in, it's a great training institution. Apparently it's got great processes. Apparently it's got, let me tell you, 18 months down the track, that's totally true. I'm watching my boy in this system. Now, Macca's, he's been there probably 
18, 20 months. Uh, no, 18 months, tw- uh, two years. He's, a, he's, he's, he's just about to become a, ma- a manager. Now, I'm watching this kid flourish just because he's been given a coherent system and process and, and, and context to be able to do. But here's what I watched. He, it was a, it was the, do you guys have like 40 degrees days down here? Really? Okay, we, 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 okay so we have them. About Mar- March is actually the hottest month of the year for us. And, and we have, like, it gets over 40 degrees. So I don't, do you complain about hot weather down here? Wait, wait till you meet me. You're 25, you complain at 25? Oh my gosh. Melbournians can complain about just about anything, but we really are very good at complaining about weather. So it's 45 degrees, it's Friday afternoon, 4pm, which is peak hour at McDonald's around the corner from our place, where Dan is. Dan was crew training, he'd just been appointed a crew trainer. He, um, it's 45, it's, for, it's 40, 45 degrees, I think it was about 90 degrees, but it's 45 degrees. Anyway, apparently the wait queue from the road into drive through was 22 minutes just to get to the speaker, right? Now, you're waiting, right? 22 minutes, you get to the speaker. Uh, hi, well, ha- welcome to McDonald's. What would you like? There's a young um, girl, she's 14 years old. Her name's Sophie, right? So she's just started. Hi, hi, um, what, what would you like? Now, you know, it's 45 degrees. You've been waiting for 22 minutes in the queue. You know what you want, don't you? A frozen Coke, right? But you know, you know, what's gonna, you know where this story's going. You know what machine's broken? The frozen, mach- frozen Coke machine. Okay, I'd like a Slurpee or whatever. Uh, uh, what? Thick shake. Oh, I'm sorry, says Soph. Um, the, uh, the milkshake, uh, what's it called? Thick shake. The thick shake um, machine is broken. Oh, I'll have a McFlurry. That's broken as well. Every cold-making thing machine is broken. Now, it's first-world problem, but you know how angry first-world people get about first-world problems. That's the point of a first-world problem. So it's 45 degrees. I've been, these people have been waiting for 22 minutes. They're angry. Every cold-making thing in the world is, sh- is broken, and Sophie can't do a darn thing about it. Plus, I can't, they can't see Sophie. So they are absolutely spewing vitriol on this 14-year-old girl as if she's gone around and broken them all deliberately. (laughs) And they're all middle-aged men and angry parents and children and screaming in the back. And they're pouring out all their vitriol on Soph. You know what my boy does? My boy who's been through this stuff, but he started to learn over these last couple of years and he's learned at Maccas of all places that what, he's been, what he has, he's been given. And so he wants to be a good steward of that. He comes up to Soph off his own bat. It's not his job. He's just started as a crew trainer. He's only, he'd only just turned 16 himself. And he goes, Soph, here are the three things you need to say to the people. Because she's in tears from these idiots. We are right, and I wasn't part of it. And... He goes, here's the three things you say to them. If, if, if that doesn't work, come and get me and I'll handle them. That's my boy. Like he's been doing. But you know what? In that way, in McDonald's, in a drive-thru, with idiots who could, can't get a McFlurry, he was being the light of the world. 
Yeah, he wasn't handing out tracts through the drive-through. He was helping this little girl. Pardon me. She was this fourteen-year-old young woman who was being treated like an object of people's wrath. And he stepped in and he leveraged whatever resource he had for her benefit. He's the Lord of the world. Doesn't make sense? And so as I look at this delightful statement that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world, but you know what? You are the light of the world. For me, it's a reminder of the statement of my identity, that I don't know what's going on in your world, but part of the reason you've been put, put on planet Earth is to be the light of the world. It's who you are. But not just that, that you leverage what is, what resource and what power and influence you have for the benefit of others. Is that all right? Awesome. Can we pray? That'd be awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. And uh, even as we can say that for some of us with delight and with ease, I want to thank you that you also say that we are the light of the world. And I pray that you would help us understand that we are loved and that we are accepted. Before you say anything else to us, we are loved and accepted. And out of that, every single one of us has been given resource and influence. And I pray that you'd help us leverage that for the good of people around us, I pray. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're continuing this journey.